never thought this would happen to us. We were so close. This is what's left of our friendship necklace. One day she didn't wear hers, so I threw mine in a fire. I don't even know what happened, but whatever it was, I'm totally sure it was her fault. We didn't even speak for two months, unless you count that threatening text message she sent me. I was just trying to send her a text message that said, do you want to go get coffee after school? I was using the T9 texting. Just look at this text message she sent me. Want to go get chopped up and thrown in a lake? It must have come out wrong. Does that sound like something you'd hear from your BFF? BFF. That's what we were. For life. I thought. I didn't know what to do. It was almost summer. We always hang out every day during the summer. What was I going to do without her? It was literally making me sick. But then my doctor told me about Reconcilosec. Reconcilosec is the safe and easy way to bring relational reconciliation to you and your friends. Reconcilosec is recommended for most occasions where friends need a little help getting over those long-held resentments and bitter grudges. Reconcilosec is not for couples in a dating relationship and should never be taken by girls who are thinking about dating their best friend's boyfriend. In lab tests, romantic rivals fighting over the same member of the opposite sex showed no relational improvements and usually resulted in serious injury by pulling of hair. Relational conflicts involving interference with another friend's dating relationship also showed no improvement. Take Reconcilosec at least 30 minutes before any anticipated conflict. Sharing Reconcilosec with others may increase your chances of reconciliation. After Julia started taking Reconcilosec, she was a totally different person. And I'm not sure how or why, but one morning I woke up and I realized that our friendship was worth more than any petty little argument. She started showing up at my house again before school to see if I wanted to walk with her. Normally, I would never admit to any wrongdoing or even consider taking the blame. But now I feel like I'm a different person. She admitted she was wrong about the whole fight we were having. And she said she was sorry, even though we couldn't remember what we were fighting about. And then she even put me back into her top eight on MySpace. Life has been so much better lately. I know, right? It's like we're willing to do whatever it takes to make things better between us. Yeah, it was totally awesome. When you didn't even get mad at me when I told you that you and Jason were so wrong for each other. What? You never told me that. Actually, yeah, yeah, I did. You remember? No, you definitely never told me that. Are you crazy? Get off me! Just trust me. This, no, this is good. Just, no. just trust me. Ask your doctor about Reconcilosec. Just trust me. Ow! Why did you slap me? Use only as directed and with extreme caution. I hate you. Oh, if only there was a, a pill like that. And and I yes, MySpace. Uh, it's old, but. Uh, it still applies to what we've been studying. Um, several years before I was born, my family went to Yellowstone uh, National Park. This was back in the late 1950s. And um, my brothers were 10, 8, and my sister was 3. And um, they discovered that there was a Washburn Mountain there. So back in 1997, when we went on a mission trip to Montana with my parents, Janie and I decided we were going to stop there. And we found the, the mountain. And then we took a picture with my mom and dad and there's the next one there, should be. There's Caleb when he was three, and, and Rachel's just a bundle. The whole trip, the whole mission trip, she was snoring. Um, and so then there's one of us. It's not the greatest picture because my mom used it, and this was back when you actually had a camera and film, and so it was overexposed and all that stuff. So anyway, Dad told me this story. When we went to uh, uh, Mount Washburn, Dad told me this story about when they had gone back in the 50s before I was born. And so they, my dad, anytime he went on a vacation, he never planned anything. It was basically get in the car and go. If the car breaks down, you go 
find a parts house, he fixed the car, and you keep going. So they just drove from Borger, Texas, up to uh, Yellowstone National Park. And when they got there, they went and they saw some of the sites. Dad never, ever made reservations for hotels, ever. We just drove until we found one that had vacancies. And so, you know, there'd be times we get in late at night. So anyway, Dad's in the park, and, and he stops at this one lodge, and he asks them if there's any rooms. And he finds out there's no room in the inn. And he said, well, can I leave my name on, you know, like a waiting list or something like that? And they said, sure, put your name down here. So dad writes his name down. He goes back to tell my mom, who is not going to be a happy woman, um, because she likes to plan ahead. And then, you know, his children, uh, that they don't have a room. Well, before dad could even start the car and back out, the clerk comes running out and said, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Washburn. We didn't realize who you were. Of course we've got a room for you. And dad's like, what? He didn't even know. At that time, he didn't even know there was a Mount Washburn. He didn't know that that name carried clout. It's the only time in history that the Washburn name has been good for anything, and it hasn't happened since then. Um, but, but we thought that was really cool. We're Washburns. You know, um, several years ago, there's a Washburn University. Mike Ort actually went to Washburn uh, University, and I was wearing a Washburn University shirt at the San Jacinto Monument. Uh, down, we'd been to my brothers in Baytown in Houston, and we're getting on an elevator to go up, and, and I have on Washburn University. And these two guys, I'm not kidding, these two guys are standing there and they go, did you go to Washburn? And I go, no. I said, no, dude, I am a Washburn. And they went, oh. You know, they weren't impressed. They said, well, we went. And I said, well, I'm named Washburn. Anyway, we had a competition all the way up. It, it was ugly. Washburn name didn't do a whole lot there, but for my dad, one day back in the 50s, it was a big deal. And we understand name dropping, don't we? I mean, not that I'd want to be related to Jerry Jones, but when you go to Cowboy Stadium, it would be nice to be related to Jerry Jones. Not to see the product on the field, because that sucks, but, but just to get in the stadium and get to go wherever you want to go. Or Mark Cuban, you know, it'd be great. And we understand name dropping when there's some famous person that you're related to. And so we've been studying Matthew, and we found out that Matthew starts with a family tree, and he drops a couple of huge names in Jesus' family tree. First, he, he goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is the biggest name in, in Jewish history. In the history of the nation, it's the biggest name because Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And then he traces that down to David. David is the coolest king in the Old Testament. Those are awesome names, and you should put them in the family tree of the Messiah. Good names. And then we discovered that he, he put four women with questionable reputations there. Three of them have R-rated reputations. And their names are Tamar. Ooh, we looked at her last week. That's, that's a messed up deal. There is Rahab. We're looking at Rahab today. There's Ruth. We're just going to mention Ruth briefly today. And then there's the one who was Uriah's wife. Remember when we read that a few weeks ago? He wouldn't even mention Uriah's wife. He wanted you to know that she was someone else's wife. What's her name? Bathsheba. We'll look at that story next week. And we just go, oh, Matthew, what are you doing, dude? And here's what we've discovered. We discovered that not only is the Bible just very, very honest about who's a part of the story. If you're in the story, if you're jacked up, it says you're in the story, it says you're jacked up stuff. It just says that in the scripture. But we discovered there's a deeper meaning, deeper reason why Matthew put these people in the story. And it's because they're the point of the baby Jesus coming at Christmas time. There's a point to um, these people being there and they are the ones he wants to rescue 
from their sins. Because you got to understand, Matthew was writing to Jews, and he was writing to people who were very, very religious, and these very religious people thought that they could get to God based on what they did. So they would try all of their religion stuff, and because they were good enough in their own eyes, they believed that God had to pay attention to them. And God looks down at these people, and God says, you'll never be good enough. And so they try harder, and they become more religious and more self-righteous. And God says, that's not what I want. But then we discovered that over here, people that, that bow the knee and know they're not good enough, they admit, God, there's nothing I can ever do to earn a place in your presence. God says to them, you're exactly right. And if you'll humble yourself, he said, I've sent Jesus to pay the price for your sins and I'll adopt you into my family. People over there, can't understand what Jesus did at Christmas time. People over here fully understand, if it's up to me, I'm going to hell. And so God had to do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. When I bowed the knee and I accepted him, he adopted me into his family. I can't wait to share this story with you today. Um, if you look at this first verse, here's what I want you to remember. God has always reached out to people based on grace, not merit. No one's ever earned their way into God's presence. This, this first verse is kind of the, the basis for what we're talking about today. John 1, 12, and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. When you get a gift, do you do anything special for that? Probably not. And if you don't open that gift, it does you no good. But this gift says, this says, to all who receive the gift, who accept what Christ did, he said he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So you need two birthdays in order to go to heaven. You need a physical birthday and you need a spiritual birthday. That rebirth, the spiritual rebirth comes when you bow and you say, God, I'm not good enough, but I'll accept Jesus' payment for my sins. All right, let's jump into the story. Matthew chapter 1 Starting in verse 1, we're just going to keep reading this over and over. I'm hoping you're going to get it by the time we finish the end of this series. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Good names! Yes! Heroes of the faith. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Ooh, R-rated. That's what we talked about last week. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, and their mother's name was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Uh, just file away Salmon in your mind because we're going to get back to him at the end of the story. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, the Jewish audience for whom he's writing, they get here and they go, Ooh, not her. She's got a label. Now, labels are not unusual. Let me, let me give you some examples. You help me finish this. I, I'll give you a name. You put the label that goes with them. John the Baptist. Very good. Next week, we're going to look at Uriah the... Ah, two people knew that. Hittite. Hopefully more. I'm going to make you memorize that next week. Uriah the Hittite. Um, you've heard of Alexander the... Attila the... Um, Conan the... Buffy the, Jabba the, see, this is not unusual at all to have a name, a, a word associated with your name to help describe you. I don't know where the hut goes with Jabba. I was thinking Jabba the slob, Jabba the big fat green thing. I don't know any of that, but hut, I don't know. But Rahab had a name, a word attached to her name that wasn't very nice. 
Y'all remember what it was. Rahab the harlot. Now, prostitute, we're going to read the version today, New Living Translation. It's going to be the, um, that's going to say the prostitute, but in the New American Standard, it says the harlot. And, and the harlot was a bad deal um, in, in their minds. Now, Rahab wasn't Jewish. This is on your listening guides. And by the way, this is on um, version. If you don't have version, you need to download that. Uh, we were at a meeting over at Jeff's house on Friday night, and Jeff's reading out the King James, and everybody's going, huh? And so I said, dude, check this out. Let me read in modern language, not the language that was written when Jeff was born. Um, that's the King James, and I think that's the 1562 version um, when Jeff was born. Uh, I hadn't made a reference to Jeff's age in a long time. He's the white-haired guy there that's not looking at me. Um, yeah. I wanted everybody to know who you were, Jeff. Uh, so anyway, I pull out and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And so all of the notes, everything is on you version. It's a great thing to have. And you always have scripture. There's several that you can download. You don't have to have internet access. Once you download it, you can go and read that. So all the notes and everything are on there. Um, Rahab was not Jewish. She was from the land of Canaan. She was from the town of Jericho, and her profession was what? Sex for money. Ew! And she's in the family tree of Jesus. See, the Old Testament was very, very clear. You could not ha- even have somebody in your midst who played the harlot. Do you know what the penalty was? Death. And yet here we have a harlot right in the middle of the Christmas story. I think Matthew was showing us a very, very clear picture of God's mercy and grace. And so where this story comes from, it's from Joshua chapter 2. You'll remember that the Israelites had come out of the promised land. They had been slaves in Egypt. I mean, they come out of Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, over 400 years. They come out, and then they are supposed to go in the promised land. They're disobedient. They wander for 40 years. In that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses dies. He writes them a letter, dies, uh, and and he tells them, Joshua's going to be your leader. So now Joshua's the leader. They are about to cross into the promised land. And this promised land was promised around 1900 B.C., 1900 years, almost 2,000 years before Christ was born is when the land was promised to Abraham. So when we're getting there, when Joshua and them are on the door of the, the, the promised land, it's 500 years later, somewhere around 1400 BC is when they are in the, uh, going into the promised land. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in a, in a fundamental Baptist church. And, and if you don't know what that is, it doesn't matter. But anyway, um, Women couldn't wear pants, and, and women couldn't speak in church. I mean, there was all this stuff about women, and men were in charge, and all this stuff. But I do remember my Sunday school class. I had a great Sunday school teacher. Funny that women couldn't speak out there, but the women could teach all of the children. I don't know. But anyway, so I had this great Sunday school teacher, and she used to talk about the promised land being the land of milk and honey. you got to understand, from the time I can remember, I've loved milk, and I've loved honey. Milk goes with anything. I can drink it with any. My kids are like, what are you doing? I said, milk goes with any meal. It's awesome. And I put honey on everything. I put honey, I'll dip my, my chicken, my fried chicken in honey. It is good stuff. I put honey and butter on my biscuits. I'll have peanut butter and honey. Um, I'll make honey and butter and, and I'll eat it on sopapillas. Milk and honey got my attention when I was a kid in Sunday school. Loved it. And so I imagined a place where the rivers were milk and honey. I said, I want to go there. This is awesome. I, you know, literal. Kids are literal. Milk and honey. 
So anyway, when my kids were, were born and they were being raised, we used to watch Veggie Tales all the time. Well, I went way back into Veggie Tales because this is a great story. They've been wandering for 40 years, and now it's time to go into the promised land. Enjoy this song as they're the heading Israelites into the promised land. were very sad about Moses dying because he was a great leader. But at last, it was finally time. It's time? It's time? Did he just say it's time? We didn't have a lot of fun in the desert. We didn't have a lot of fun in the sand. We'll settle up your cow and we'll be behind us now. Because we're going to the promised land. For years I've eaten nothing but manna. A dish that is filling but bland. But now we're on our way. Oh, have a drink to play. Because we're going to the promised land. And in the promised land it's gonna be so grand. We'll have our fill from the grill as much as we can stand. with Moses, but we'll be feasting with Josh in command. I'd like a taco, please, and some panos and cheese. Because we're going to the promised land. And in the promised land, it's gonna be so grand. We'll have our fill from the grill as much as we can stand. It'll be so great, well, we can hardly wait. Cause we're going to the promised land. And in the promised land, it's gonna be so grand. We'll have our fill from the grill as much as we can stand. I'll do anything to help you remember these stories. We've got another VeggieTales coming up in a minute. I still remember this song. Have it all memorized. I, I, I showed this to my kids all the time. Now, you have to, my favorite line in there sounds sticky. A land flowing with milk and honey sounds sticky, right? Well, the very first city that they come to is a fortified, gated city, and it is the gateway, literally, to where they want to go. So they've got to conquer Jericho before they can go anywhere else. So Joshua learned his lesson from the first time. You remember the first time um, Moses picks one man from each of the tribes, sends them in, and they come back and give a bad report. This time, Joshua sends the spies in quietly. I think he's, you know, he's a pretty good leader. Hey, y'all, come here. Didn't tell anybody, sent the spies in. Well, the spies are spotted, and somebody goes to the king, and they say, hey, king, we think the Israelites have sent some spies in to spy out our land, and they're at Rahab's house. And so the king sends somebody to go check it out. And, and here's the strange thing. See, because the king can do anything, right? The king can say, go bust in the door, and bust in the door, and, and it doesn't matter what you think. But for some reason, they don't go bust in the door. The scripture says they, they knock on the door and they go, hey, Rahab. Could you bring out the spies in there? And I'm going, what, what's up with that? I, now, we don't know. But I think it's because when you go to a prostitute's house, you don't know who's behind those doors. Could be the king's son. You go busting there, you dead. Could be a politician. I don't know. But anyway, they go, hey, Rahab, bring the spies out. And Rahab comes out, and Rahab goes, well, they were here, yeah. I didn't know who they were, and I sent them on their way. And right before the city gates closed... They left. But if you hurry, you can find them. Now, nowhere is Rahab commended for lying. Don't, don't think that. She, she hid the spies. She's not commended for lying, but I want to show you what she is commended for in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. She goes back up, talks to the spies. She says, I know the Lord has given this land 
given you this land, she told them. We are afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Now, back then, they didn't even speak the word for God's name. They didn't speak the word for Lord because they were afraid they would offend God. And the word she uses for Lord means the existing one. Even Rahab the prostitute knows that there is someone in charge. There is one who has been in existence forever and has has, uh, created this world. She knows that there's an existing one. Look what she says in verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. Okay, Egypt was how many years before? When did they leave Egypt? How many years before? 40 years before. 40 years ago was 1973. How many of y'all are still talking about 1973? How many of y'all were even born in 1973? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. All right, a few of us. How many of us still remember what was going on in 1973? I was born in 1964. I do not remember what was happening. I was in third grade. I do remember that. It was real easy because, you know, I started in 70s, so first grade, all that. So 1973, I was in third grade. We talk about what happened, you know, three years ago in Haiti. There was an earthquake. Massive earthquake in Haiti three years ago. We talk about Hurricane Katrina. We talk about Hurricane Ike. We talk about what happened 9-11. You know, that was, that was back in 2001. We talk about those things, but we're not talking about stuff that happened 40 years ago. But if you are in Canaan and the Israelites are coming, you have heard about what God did when he parted the Red Sea and all of Israel walks through on dry ground. And then as the Egyptian soldiers follow, God closes the sea and they wipe out the entire army without ever raising a sword. They didn't even have swords. You've heard about that. Look what they say next. We've heard about that. We talk about that. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Sihon and Og. So what's going on? Promised land is here. Egypt is down here, and so they've come up around this side, and the Jordan River is, is uh, separating them from the land they're in, which was Sihon and Og. They were the two kings on this side of the Jordan River. They were supposed to go over here into the promised land. So they come through, and Moses sends word to Sihon. He's the king, and he said, hey, can we pass through on the king's highway? We promise we won't do anything. We won't eat your crops. We won't do anything. We'll walk straight through. We'll stay on the pathway. And Sihon says no, and he brings his army out to fight them. So you've got slaves who've been wandering for 40 years who have no weapons and Sihon comes out to meet them in war. And the Bible says that the Israelites immediately destroyed them all. Not one of his people were left. So you'd think Og, who was the next king they contacted, would do the same thing. He would, he would, he would move away. No, he brings out his army. They completely destroy them. The two kings on the east side of the Jordan, nothing's left. And they've heard this story. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. You ever seen somebody who just melts in fear? The whole land was melting in fear. She says, no one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Even Rahab knows that there's a ruler of heaven and earth. There is one true God. Look what she says, verse 12. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father, mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all their families. They said, we offer our lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the wall of the city of Jericho, she let them down by a rope through the window. Rahab says, I don't even know the name of your God, but I believe he's in charge and I want to be on his side. 
So the spies make a pact with her. She's on the west side of, of Jericho, and she sends the, the men back to the east where, where uh, Joshua and all the army is camped. She sends the spies out. She drops them down outside the wall. They go to the hills. They hang out for a couple of days. They eventually make it back to Joshua, and they said, Joshua, everybody's too afraid to even fight us. And they're thinking, wow, this is really cool. And so Joshua brings, now this hadn't even happened yet. That's why she doesn't mention it. Next, Joshua brings the entire Israelite nation, about 3 million people across the Jordan River. It was flood stage. And, and God said, I want the priest to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Tabernacle, and they're going to walk. And when they step foot in the flooded river, now you got to understand, you think, you think about the Mississippi River outside its banks about that much. That's how flooded it was. And so the priests are supposed to be carrying the ark, and they're supposed to, God says, when they step foot in the river, I'll dry up the river. I want to be at the back. You want to be a priest? You know, you're, you're thinking, I know God can. And it says, when their feet touched the water, God dried up the river for 18 miles. Let's say you're fishing. And all of a sudden, you're on the ground, and it's dry, because the Bible says they walk through on dry ground. Now, their hearts had already melted with fear, right? They'd heard about everything that happened on the Red Sea. They'd heard about Sihon and Og. Don't you think somebody said, seen the river lately? I mean, if I'm, if I'm in Jericho, I'm going to check it out. I don't have to hear from somebody else. I'm going... What happened? Because I've been around a little bit. You know, I've been in rivers. It takes a long time for a river to dry out. Instantly, the water dries up, dry ground. Do you think their hearts melted with fear? <laughs> I bet they did. So Joshua brings them across. They're supposed to consecrate themselves, get ready to go fight. And then the angel of, of it says the angel of the Lord's host shows up and tells him the strategy. He says, don't worry about any weapons. Put on your walking shoes because you're going to be walking. This is how you're going to conquer this land. Well, this is another VeggieTales song from Josh and the Big Wall. It's when they get to the wall. Check this out. What are you doing? We're going to knock your wall down. <laughs> By walking around in circles? Yes. It's not because we're crazy or anything. Our God told us to do it this way. Oh, that's a great idea. You go ahead and keep walking. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. It's plain to see. Your brains are very small to think walking. We'll be knocking down our wall. You silly little pickin, you silly little bees. You think that walking around will bring this city to its knees? The awesome powers of this wall we've clearly demonstrated. Ah! But out here in the hot, hot sun, perhaps you're dehydrated? Ah, pity them, Philippe. Ah, may we, Jean-Claude, may we. Won't you join me in my irritating little song? It would be an honor. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. Keep
I don't think the Canaanites had French accents, but uh, anyway, we can, one can dream, one can dream. But can you imagine, they, they come in, the, the, the army comes in, and they walk around the first day. And, and if you're in Jericho, you're probably going, Whew. second day, they come in in silence, and they walk around. I mean, can you just imagine the military strategy? Josh goes to his military commander, okay, we're going to walk around once, first day. Next day, we're going to walk around. Nobody's going to say a word. And then on the seventh day, and they're going, yeah, we're going to walk around seven times in silence. And the last time, we're going to shout. You're a military commander. And that's it. So they do it. They follow the, the, the instructions. The seventh day, they walk around seven times. They shout. And the Bible says the walls fall down. And it falls down in such a manner that every Israelite, about three million of them, is able to go in straight away. And they completely destroy the city. Now, here's the remarkable thing. Lots of people have said, well, why did the, why did the, earth, why did the walls fall? Well, some people said because um, <laughs> two to three million people walking around it you know, eroded the, the foundation. Or it caused you know, some, some tremors. Um, some people said earthquake. We don't know. Here's what I think. I think the existing one said walls fall down, and they obeyed. Because if you believe the first few words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, first four words, then you believe it's possible for the existing one to say, walls fall down. Now here's the amazing thing. In the midst of the chaos, God reaches down and saves a believing prostitute. Because if it's an earthquake, whatever happened, you have to say it's a remarkably localized earthquake because all the walls fall down except the section where Rahab's house was. And see, if you know the story, you know that the spy said, okay, here's the thing. You've got to be in your house, and you need to have a red cord dangling in the window. That's how we're going to know which house is yours. I'm thinking God knocks down all of the wall. The one that Rahab's in is the one that's still standing. Right? Hello, anyone else? Go into the one that's still standing and save her. So that's what they do. Remarkably, God protects them. So here's what Joshua says in, in chapter 6, verse 22. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. Skip down to verse 25. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Do you know what that means? She lives Now, it, this was written in Joshua's time, and so until the time that, that Joshua was, was writing the book, she was still among them. What that means is Rahab was a walking, talking, living, breathing example, picture of the grace that you and I take for granted. Because every time an Israelite looked at her, they must have shaken their head because, because their law said she deserved to die. She was a foreigner. She'd worshipped other gods. She was a harlot. But what happens when a harlot believes in the one true God? He pours out his mercy and grace, and she gets what she doesn't deserve. And see, here's the thing. Jericho was hundreds of years before Christ. Do you know what that means? 
That means in the Old Testament, there was grace. It's all over the Old Testament. Grace. It's the only way anyone comes to God is through grace. Now, fast forward hundreds of years to the first century. Jews know this story of Rahab. And, and those who are believing this, they're reading this at the end of, of after Matthew's written it, they're, they're reading this and they're going, only our God, only the God who would sacrifice himself to save us would do something like this for Rahab the harlot. Same God, God who gave up his life for us. He's awesome. And here's the thing, side note. I double dog dare you to find any other religion where God, the God, and by the way, it's a lowercase g. If you're not talking about the existing one, the one true God, that's an uppercase g. Every other time you mention God, it's a lowercase g. I double dog dare you to find any other God who would sacrifice his life for the worshipers. You can't find one. And it's what makes Christianity unique. Well, one day, Rahab, who's living among them as a, as a picture of grace, she's just going about her business. And by the way, it's a new business now. It's not the same old profession. She's going about her business, and a dude named Salmon walks up. Remember him? And, and I don't know. Hey. Hey. Could we maybe have some coffee? I don't know. Maybe. They eventually get married. So this Jew hooks up with a foreign harlot, and they have a son. Eventually they have a son, and his name is Boaz. I don't know why. When, when our kids were little, we'd read them out those little kid Bibles, and we read this story, and, and Caleb called him Bozai. I like Bozai better than Boaz. He couldn't say Boaz. I don't know why. They named him Boaz. Boaz grows up, he gets to be an old man, and when he's old, he's introduced to a woman named Ruth, who's not a Jew. And eventually, they get married. She has a whole book written about her. It's awesome in the Old Testament. They have a baby. And do you know who just so happens to be the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth? King David. There's another good name to be dropping. Only God would do that. See, Matthew includes this story to show us a picture of grace because if Rahab came based on what she did or didn't do, the law said she deserved to die. But when Rahab said, I, I don't deserve anything, I just believe, God says, not only will I spare Rahab's life, I'll adopt her into my family and I'll make her part of the family tree of the Messiah. Now that is good news. God says, my grace is greater than my law. My grace and forgiveness is so great for people who believe that I'll adopt them into the kingdom. Now, her story isn't all that different from ours because just like Rahab had a label, I think you do too. And I think if we could pull back the layers of your mind and we could see there's something you've done in your past that you are completely ashamed of. And you don't want anybody to know that secret. And, and, you know, it could be anything. could be lust, could be sex, adultery, theft, habits, addictions. I don't know what your label is, but somebody has given you a label. Your story is much like Rahab's because when you think of coming to God, you think, I can't go there. I can't come to God because of my label. When Jesus was, was teaching in, in Luke chapter 18, he says, there was a Pharisee who went to the altar 
and a publican. And, and a publican is a tax collector. Remember, tax collectors were the lowest and then sinners. The, the Pharisee goes, and he, he goes before God, and he says, God, I thank you that I'm a good Jew, and I'm not like him. And he points to the tax collector over there. He says, I tithe, I do this. God, I'm not like him. The Bible tells us that the tax collector would not even look up at God. He said, he just beat his breast and he said, oh God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And see, people who know they're far from God won't come around if there's a bunch of religious people hanging out because they're not welcome and because they have a label and religious people remind them of their label. And if you're this person, you have a label, I want you to remember Matthew the tax collector, the writer of this manuscript. Because Jesus did not come to him and say, when you clean yourself up, when you quit collecting taxes, when you have a new reputation and a new label, then come follow me. Mm -mm. Matthew remembers sitting at the tax collector's booth when Jesus walks up and looks in his eye. He's caught in the act of, of collecting taxes, ripping off the people of God. And Jesus says, come follow me. And God does some incredible things in his life. He gave him a new label. And see, God wants to give you a new label. Let me show you how I know that. Because in God's world, Rahab is no longer the harlot. Rahab is now the great, 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 grandmother of Jesus the Christ. She's not the prostitute anymore. Matthew is no longer the tax collector. He's a disciple. He's gone from tax collector, the lowest, to a writer of the book of the Bible. And the story you need to understand about Christmas is God is the only one who can change your label. Don't let some religious person tell you who you are. Don't let some family member say you're this. You come before God and let God change your label. When I was thinking about this, it just came to my mind... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you hadn't seen this, it's going to kind of freak you out. But at the end of the movie, the, the kings and queens of Narnia are coming to get their crowns. Aslan, he's is representation of Jesus, of God. Aslan's this big lion, and so there's a lion that talks, and Narnia animals can talk. But anyway, I want you to watch the name that Aslan gives each of these kings and queens of Narnia, and then we'll finish. I give you Queen Lucy, the Valiant. Western Wood, King Edmund, the Just, to the radiant Southern Sun, Queen Susan, the Gentle, and to the clear Northern Sky, 
I give you King Peter, the Magnificent. Once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen. May your wisdom grace us until the stars rain down from the heavens. Long live King Peter! Long live King Edward! Long live King Susan! Long live King Richard! If you know anything about the, the movie, you know that those names were completely opposite of the characteristics that they'd shown during their lifetime. But Aslan, the representation of Jesus, of, as a, of God, gave them a new name. And my favorite part, he says, once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen of Narnia. Last week, we had some folks who prayed to receive Christ for the first time. They stepped into the kingdom of God. And, and when they bowed their knees, God gave them a new name, child of God. The Bible says that, that all of heaven rejoiced. And when you receive that name, don't let anyone on this earth or any being, demonic being, tell you that you're not valuable to your heavenly Father. See, I just want to know, how many of you, how many of you know that someone has a label for you that's not very flattering? Can I see your hands? If someone has a label for you, or if you have a label for yourself, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you bow your heads? Just pray this silently while you're sitting there, but repeat this to your Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I believe your grace is more powerful than my label. I believe Christ died to pay for the sin my label represents. I believe you've offered me a new label. Forgiven. Accepted and loved. Teach me to live my life based on who you say I am. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.